0: Everybody doing okay, you guys? Good, good, all right, <laughs> good, good. So, if you've never been here before, um, what we do is we go through whole books of the Bible, we go through them line by line, chapter by chapter, all the way through until we get through with it. And, um, we're in the book of Nehemiah, uh, which is in the Old Testament, it's right between Ezra and Esther. I don't know why I, I keep double checking that, like, somehow my Bible has like shuffled around, but it hasn't, it's still in the proper order. So. I'm going to do something this weekend I have not done in 12 years of teaching like this and and leading this church. I'm going to to summarize chapter three, and then we're going to do chapter four. If you have read ahead of me, you're very grateful right now that I am summarizing chapter four because it's just a list. Now, listen, I'm not a blasphemous person. I'm a Christian. I love God. I respect God, fear God, the whole nine yards. Um, But God knows this too. There are some parts of the Bible that are... um, laborious to read, <laughs> not extreme. It's okay if you laugh at stuff like this. God's not gonna smite you or anything. It's, it's, it's not always the funnest to, to read like lists. And, and if you've ever tried to read the Bible all the way through, you get into Genesis and you're like, okay, this is exciting, right? We got a flood, we got the Tower of Babel, we got all this fun, exciting stuff. You get into Exodus, right? Great story of Moses, you're super excited. And then you hit your third speed bump. Yeah, that's called Leviticus. You hit You hit Leviticus and you're like, Okay, that's not as fun as the two previous books. And you keep on working, and then you hit another really serious speed bump. We call it the book of numbers. And you're like, well, numbers aren't exactly always fun to read. Now, listen, that's not me being disrespectful. The, the reason every single word and number is in that book for a reason. And what it does is these lists, and, and I dare say kind of boring parts, right, are there because it gives this book historical validity, And God knows it's not fun to read genealogies for days, right? This person begat this person, begat the, you know. God knows, but they're there for a reason. And there's a lot of things we can learn from lists. Nehemiah chapter three is one of those chapters. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna summarize it here in a second. And you're gonna be shocked at how many neat things you can actually pull out from lists, from numbers, from facts, from figures that are in the Bible. But we'll get to that here in a second. If you weren't here last week, we did chapter two of Nehemiah. Now, the book of Nehemiah, pretty simple story. It's about a Jewish man that was exiled from his hometown of Jerusalem, was living in what is modern day uh, Iraq, the, the area of Babylon. He worked for the Persian king. He got word that his hometown Jerusalem was in ruins. So he prayed to God. God gave him favor with the king. He goes back to rebuild the wall Around Jerusalem. That's basically the story of Nehemiah. We left off last week in chapter 2 where Nehemiah pulls all the Jewish people together. There's opposition around them on every side, but he says, we've got to rebuild the wall. And they get all psyched up and they said, let's rebuild the wall. And then chapter 3, that's what they're doing is they're rebuilding the wall. But what we talked about in chapter 2 is that we, as followers of God, I hope you're a follower of God. If you're not a follower of God, I'm really, really happy you're here and and, uh, hope something today kind of sparks you and moves you in that direction. But as a follower of God, we talked about last week, we have to prepare for two things. We have to prepare for opposition because Jesus said a gazillion times, we're going to have that in life. There's going to be opposition. So we have to prepare as Christians for hard times we also need to prepare as Christians for opportunities. That's good things. That God may put something on our path, but if we have not prepared to receive that, then we miss out on those things. So we have to be prepared for the good and the bad. That's what we talked about for chapter two. This week, as we skim over chapter three and we really focus on chapter four, it's gonna be a similar theme, but it's gonna be specifically about this. We, as followers of God, have to make sure that our minds are protected, our thoughts, right? And we need to make sure that our hearts are protected, guarded, which means our emotions. So the Bible says that we are to worship God in spirit and truth. That means with our heart, our emotions, and with our intellect, our mind. So we have to keep those two things, covered by the Holy Spirit and guarded. This'll all make sense once we work through this, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything will be in there. Everything will be on the screens if you didn't get one of those. Everything is on the Experience Community app, if you wanna download that and click on sermon notes, everything is there for you. Uh, I'm gonna pray. Again, I'm just gonna summarize chapter three and then we'll get into chapter four and, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Okay, everyone good? Hope you're good, all right? Let me pray. We'll dive into this and, and uh, we'll see where God takes us, all right? Father, Lord, we love you. Uh, God, thank you so much for the opportunity to get what we're doing, to, to get to do what we're doing right now, Father, Thank you, Lord, that we can be in a comfortable room, that we can talk about your word, that we can worship freely. God, we're appreciative for that. Lord, we pray that you keep your hand on our church, God. We need you, Lord. We live in a chaotic, crazy culture right now. And Lord, I pray that you give us uh, your favor and that you give us your wisdom so we can navigate, God, all the all the things that we have to come up against. We don't just pray for our church, Father. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the cities uh, that they're in and the churches in those cities. And Father, of course, above all things, we just pray that our study today, that it honors you and makes you proud, God. We love you and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so when you get into chapter three, chapter three is about Nehemiah assigning people to build the walls. Now, if you wanna be just crazy and go back and read chapter three after I teach this, You'll find out that it talks about the northern wall, the eastern wall, and the western wall. There's no southern wall. Reason why is the wall around the city was like a triangle. So there was a north, east, and west, but there was no southern wall. It came down to an angle, okay? So the first part that it talks about is the northern wall. And the first people that it mentions working on their part of the wall were the priests, And what that shows us right off the bat is that building up the community, there's gonna be a, a million metaphors today. Building up the community is a spiritual thing and all of the followers of God should be engaged in building up the community, okay? That's why the priests are mentioned first. They dedicated their part of the wall when the entire wall was built. We'll see later that they dedicate the entire thing to God. We also see that there was some group of people that had nobility in their group. And and Nehemiah says they didn't lift a finger. Here's a lesson in humanity, humanity 101. There will always be people that think they are too good to do the dirty work. And we see this, right? Humans have not changed much in the last 2,500 years, and there were lazy, snobby people in Nehemiah's time, just like there are right now. None of you, right? These are other people, somewhere, somewhere distant. Not, not any of us, right? At least I hope not. Okay, so we talk about the northern wall, learn a couple of interesting facts. We talk about the western wall, some other interesting facts. We learn that everyone was responsible for building up the portion of the wall directly in front of their home not just in front of their home, but also in front of their place of business. So your home, you took care of this part of the wall. You also took care of that part of the wall where your business was. Now, what is important about that is we learn that first and foremost, yes, we want to help everyone around us, but we have to make sure that our home is in order first before we start trying to take care of everyone else's business. Jesus actually said this. Before you start pulling splinters out of your neighbor's eye, make sure you get the piece of wood out of your own, right? Matthew chapter seven. So this principle is throughout the entire Bible. It even says that for ministers, people like myself, or or even if you're a small group leader, if you're doing ministry, you have to make sure your home is in order before you can start giving everyone else advice on how to put their homes in order. It's just logic, guys. It's just very simple stuff. We also see in the mentioning of the, the Western Wall We see that there is a father that is doing the work with his two daughters. I have two daughters, so I think this is kind of neat. What that shows you is, is it wasn't just the men doing all the work, the women were in there doing the work with them. And not just women, young women. So you had both genders, you have young and old, which, which shows us everyone contributes to the building of the community. So if you're a young Christian in here, you're not exempt from helping build up the community, the kingdom of God. You're to be doing it too, because we all have a role to play. We all have a purpose. We learn that from the second part. We learn from the third part, which is the Eastern Wall. We see the merchants doing their job. We see the Levites, that was the pastors, doing their job. We see the influential people of the community working hard. So the exact opposite of the nobles that wouldn't want to work, we see that the, the really affluential, influential, successful people, they did not think that the grunt work was beneath them. So they're getting their hands dirty, they're building the wall, they're doing masonry work, they're doing carpentry work, they're doing it, right? Because it doesn't matter how successful we get, we should never be above doing the grunt work, right? Doing the, the, the ground level stuff. And we learn that. So we actually see some really cool principles of, of life in this boring list. And again, I say that kind of facetiously because when you dive into the lists of the Bible, you see a lot of interesting stuff. Side note that I did not say at any other other services, but I should've. When you read in the gospels about the genealogy of Jesus and you're like, why is this in here? It's neat to know that there was incest in the genealogy of Jesus. There was rape in the genealogy of Jesus. There was murder. There were bad people in the bloodline of Jesus. And so what we learn is that even though we make mistakes, that good can always come. All of these lists are in the Bible for a reason. And chapter 3 of Nehemiah is no different. Look at the things we get from chapter 3. Everyone's important. Everyone should contribute. Everyone has a purpose that we are to work as a united front because we get more done than if we're divided. The churches should read that and study that more often. That when we work hard, it glorifies God, but when we're lazy, that doesn't glorify God and it doesn't glorify the church. We learned that in chapter three. We learned that we should encourage other people, right? So even in these boring lists in the Bible with a little bit of study, we learn some pretty neat things from them, right? But let's get into chapter four. You're gonna like chapter four. There's gossip, there's drama, there's slander, right? Threats of murder, it's good stuff. Chapter four is exciting, let's read it. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? When Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him said, this, this is a really good cut down, guys. Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. You get him, Tobiah, right? You get the picture of this guy like really making fun of the Jews, and then his little like nerdy sidekick goes, Yeah, man, and if a fox jumped on your wall, it would fall down. And people are kind of like, what? Right? <laughs> So Sanballat is kind of the main antagonist. He's kind of our main bad guy. And he heard that the Jews were rebuilding the wall. So he was angry at first. Now he's taken it to the point to where he is talking bad about the Jews to everyone, publicly making fun of them. And the reason why he did this, and this is a good life lesson. The reason why he was a bully basically is because he was afraid that they were a threat to his status. Most bullies, this is why they're bullies. is because they're so insecure that they have to put down someone else to make themselves look bigger, right? It's just a life lesson. And so the reason Sanballat, we're gonna call him Sanny because you know, we don't like him very much. Sanny was, was such a bully, right? Is because he thought uh, that they were less than him. So he talks trash about him to his countrymen, to the army, hopefully kind of antagonizing them to, to push them into fighting the Jewish people. Now here's what's important let's talk about words for a second. So what we say, how we say it, who we say it about or to is extremely important when you get into the Bible. So Sanballat not only thought that their purpose was dumb, he honestly just looked down on the Jewish people. He thought they were inferior to him. And when he said these things, these things came from the heart Now, the Bible says, Jesus in particular said that what comes out of our mouth is residing in our heart. Out of an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's the thing, whenever I hear Christians, right? And they get upset and they say, well, F this and F that and they lose their mind, they go on a tirade and they're like, oh, that wasn't me. I don't know where that came from. That was you and I'll tell you exactly where it came from. It was festering down here. Because when those things up come up, according to Jesus, they have, been, they have been residing in our heart. So what we need to do when we have those outbursts and say things that we shouldn't say, that's a problem that we need to address. And we need to get to the root of that and make sure that that evil is, is removed from our heart so it doesn't bubble up again. And we don't destroy people and tear people down and, and really uh, uh, do things that are displeasing to God. Because what we say matters. It's a good barometer of the state of our heart, quite frankly. And that's why the Bible says, the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. James, who is the biological brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, said this in chapter three. He said the tongue can either be used to tear things down or the tongue can be used to build things up. So if the tongue is this powerful, If our words are that powerful, the Bible says that the only thing that can tame the tongue is the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm just from the North, so I'm just kind of a jerk sometimes, right? You like how I used a Southern accent to say I was from the North? I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) But we we, we always use these excuses, right? Well, I just got a bad temper. Well, you need to pray about that bad temper because it's sinful, quite frankly. Well, I just cuss sometimes. Well, you need to watch your words because the Bible says not to use abusive language. That we should, we should be letting the Holy Spirit, inviting the Holy Spirit take control of our tongue. That we use our tongue not to curse and, and put people down because the Bible says blessings and cursing shouldn't come out of the same mouth. That we should be saying positive edifying things. I'll be honest, man. In America, this is probably our biggest problem. We just can't shut up. And we constantly say things and then we wonder why we don't have any friends. And we're like, it's because your mouth never stops why the Bible says be slow to speak, right? Think about things, think, and then speak, not speak and then, oh crap, I got to clean that up, right? Also, influence matters. So I I pick on Tobiah, right? He was kind of Sanballat's sidekick and not the guy who would win the Your Mama contest in the 80s because his cutdowns aren't very good, right? So... He hears sand, you guys in your 40s are like, I remember that, I said horrible things about my friend's mom. Anyways, (laughs) Tobiah, who is influenced by Sanbalat, hears all this negativity and he goes, well, I'm gonna jump in on this. And so what we learn from that is very, very simple, right? Again, this is Life 101. Not only do we need to be careful about what speaks into us, we need to be careful about how we speak because people are always listening. If you're a parent in here, you know who's really listening? Your kids. Well, I don't know why my kid got in a fight at school today and cussed out another kid and spit on him. Probably because he's seen how you talk to your wife and they're mimicking what you're doing. Probably seeing how you guys yell at each other and scream or when you're shocked that your kid does something, but you let your kid watch whatever the heck they want on YouTube and on social media and on Netflix. And you're like, well, how did my kid learn that word? They learned it from you or the things that you've allowed around you, right? So not only do we need to be careful about what influences us, we need to be careful because we're an influence to others, right? And so the Christian needs to make sure that we are never slanderous. Let's talk about this in particular. Do you know the definition for devil is slanderer? So when we as Christians go around and talk bad about people, there's no more like the devil we can be than with our tongue slandering others. Do you know the word Satan means accusatory or the accuser? So when we're constantly accusing people, there's no more like Satan than we could be than when we're accusing people. So we as Christians need to make sure we're not slanderous and we're not accusatory all the time, okay? Very, very important. Next part. This is Nehemiah. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had the, wall, uh, had the will to keep working. So Nehemiah is hearing all these insults, right? You guys are never gonna build it back. If I put a fox on your wall, it would fall apart. All these insults are coming at him. And instead of Nehemiah directing insults back, instead of you know going to Twitter and really letting him have it on social media, instead of talking bad to all of his friends about these people that were talking bad about him, Nehemiah did the right thing, and directed his issues to God. He took it to God. Here's why he did this. We all as humans want to, to fight back, right? That's our natural inclination because we really care about our reputation. You should care about your reputation, but we tend to care about our reputation more than we care about the reputation of Christianity. So sometimes we just need to keep our mouths shut, take our grievances to God to make sure that the church has a good reputation. So a lot of people have criticized Nehemiah for his prayer because if you go back and read it, it's actually pretty harsh. Nehemiah's like, let them be taken captive and and let these things happen to them. And he's not doing that because he just wants bad things. He knows that if anything is going to be done with this injustice, vengeance belongs to God. That we don't take it into our own hands, we give it over to God and God will deal with, with these adversaries. Nehemiah understood this. But one of the things he says is he's, he says, let them be taken as plunder. What Nehemiah was praying to God was let the same things that happened to the Jewish people happen to all these neighboring people. See, what happened to the Jews is they were taken captive. They lost their identity. They lost all their belongings. They lost all their prosperity and their freedom. And it was the best thing that ever happened to the Jews because that's what turned them back to God. So what Nehemiah was saying is, God, the same thing you did to us, do to these neighboring cities and maybe that will humble them. You guys ever said that prayer, this should be a last resort. You ever prayed for something and said, God, whatever it takes. Anyone else ever done that, right? Someone is so lost, they're so distant from God and you say, God, whatever it takes. If it takes a car accident, if it takes them getting a, An illness, if it takes them losing someone, whatever it takes, God. And that's that's a last resort prayer, God. We just want people to be humbled by you and saved. So whatever it takes, but that's what Nehemiah prays, that difficult prayer of whatever you got to do, God, do it. Ultimately, though, what Nehemiah did is he left the results to God. He did not get instant justice. It didn't all get taken care of immediately. So he took the problem, gave it to God, he took the enemy, gave it over to God, and here's why. This is really good, Corey, this is really good. Thank you, I was really proud of it when I wrote it. (laughs) Nehemiah had a job to do, and he did not have time to wallow in offense and wallow in anger. Now listen to me, Christians. Christians get angry and offended more than probably anyone else. We're constantly offended, we're constantly angry, right? We go to Disney World and there's a rainbow flag somewhere in the distance, and we're like, "Oh, never watching another cartoon ripping our Disney shirt off and rebelling against everything now. Looks like my kids are going to wear blinders until they're 27 now. We see a movie on Netflix that comes out that doesn't align with our theology, and I oh, guess we're canceling all of our streaming services. These are all secular organizations. You guys know this, correct? They're not Christian organizations. So we keep expecting non-Christian organizations to follow Christian values, and they're never going to. So instead of us constantly being offended and angry, why don't you get to know some non-believers? Maybe they'll become believers. Heck, maybe one of them will become CEO of Netflix one day. And maybe they'll stop making blasphemous movies or whatever the case may be. But listen, here's the thing, Christians. We have a job to do, and our job isn't to be offended and take it to Facebook, our job is to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Spirit, and teaching them everything that Jesus taught us. That's our job. Our job isn't to wallow in our offense and in, in our, in our anger. But that's what we've done in the United States for the last 40 years, and that's why we have the resulting culture that we're living in right now. Because we have not made disciples, we've just been ticked off about everything we don't agree with. So we need to go out and be the light in the dark like Jesus commanded us to be. Here's the bottom line. God sees everything that everyone's doing. And God is a righteous judge that will reward those that deserve it and punish those that deserve it. And we just need to rest in that. My Facebook post is not going to like quicken the judgment of God. I just need to rest in the fact that God sees the good and evil in the world and he's going to deal with the good and evil in the world. Everyone's good, right? Man, you guys are so quiet. Okay, it's cool. It's cool. Let's get to the next part. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborer fails since there's so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. They're discouraged is what they're saying. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, They attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, this is really good, listen to this. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters and your wives and homes. That's good. So what has happened is now we see all of the antagonists. It's not just Sanballat and and Tobiah. You have people from the north. You have people from the south, the east, and the west, literally all the way around the Jews who hated them. And now the aggression has stepped up so much that they're making threats, killing people, hurting people, fighting with them. So they were from every corner around Jerusalem, all right? So what they were doing, Sanballat, look at this, this is very important. Sanballat basically launched a campaign of propaganda. They were gonna get the word out that we have people in your town and when you least expect it, we're gonna kill you. We're gonna take your wives, hurt your children, right? We're gonna start this propaganda. We're gonna control you, confuse you, let you live in fear all the time by our propaganda. Now, this has nothing to do with COVID. I knew everyone this weekend, he's talking about COVID, I'm not. We live in a culture though right now that has been trying to control us with propaganda for decades, a long time. Let me give you an example, right? The women in this room, you're never gonna meet a good looking man unless you're a size zero, unless you buy the certain product and put it on, unless you're willing to show some skin, right? Unless you're willing to compromise some of your sexual integrity, you're never gonna get a man, and so we're constantly bombarded with all this media that says that, right? All these slogans and ads and these women that have probably been Photoshopped anyways, if you don't look like that, you're never gonna get a husband. And so there's this fear struck in you that gets to compromise your integrity. We see this all the time with men, right? In different movies, if you don't have a six pack and if you haven't slept with 6,000 women by the time you're 19 years old and all this different garbage that we're pumped into, and there's this fear, there's this control, there's this confusion. We see it all the time in our culture. Social media, right? This generation coming up, the greatest fear they have is the fear of missing out on something. So we get on social media and we got all these friends. We don't really have any real human friends or interactions, but I'm really popular on this digital plane somewhere, which is all garbage. And so the whole time we are confused and we think we're living, but we're not living. We're so busy taking a perfect selfie of the Grand Canyon that we never go into the Grand Canyon. This is the culture that we live in. We're so busy taking a picture of the food that we don't eat the food. It's cold now, right? Because you had to get that freaking picture on Instagram. Now your spaghetti's cold. <laughs> I don't know anyone who takes pictures. of That's kind of a boring food to take pictures of. Your beef wellington is now cold. I don't know. So we constantly live in a culture that is trying to scare, distract, control, and confuse you. This is why, listen to me, brothers, sisters, this is why your identity cannot be found in the color of your skin or the passing fad or your sexuality or your gender, all these things, right? This is why your identity has to be found in the word of God, the principles of the word of God and the only thing that you were created in the image of God, because everything else is fleeting. It's passing, it's ever changing. And so that's why culture cannot be our identity. It cannot be our driver. It cannot be our direction because it fails over and over again. We also see something interesting here. And now listen, we have to balance all this. I was worried about all this when I typed this out because I was afraid someone would take this wrong. Though Nehemiah depended on God through prayer, Nehemiah also knew that he needed to prepare his people to protect their homeland, to protect their home, if you will. So some people strategically were given bows, spears, swords. And what that lets us know is this. Here's this delicate balance. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for war. That doesn't mean we go looking for war. It doesn't mean we go pick fights. But there are times when we will have to defend the defenseless. That's just, we have to sometimes. There is an enemy sometimes and we have to defend our home. The Bible also says that we are to live at peace with everyone as long as that is possible. So there's this weird balancing act in that. What that means on a very practical level is it means that I can live at peace with every single one of you until you try to get to my wife and kids and then we can no longer live at peace. We're at war at that point, right? If you're gonna try to hurt them, God has put them under my care and I will protect them at all costs, right? And this is that weird balance of both trying to live at peace with everyone as long as I can, but if you're trying to hurt the the, the defenseless, that I need to stand up for them, right? But here's the thing, Nehemiah knew that ultimately it was still in God's hands. I love this speech. He says, it is all up to God, but fight for your countrymen, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. But he knew that ultimately it was still up to God. And again, here's where I was afraid someone would take this out of out of line they're like well that's right i can i can i can walk around with my my bazooka tied to my nike shorts and kroger and that's what i can do now because the pastor said that i get to defend my family right bazooka nike shorts here they are listen you can strap bazookas all the way around you and have just guns and ar-15s coming out of everywhere if god wants your time to end your time's going to end and if god wants you to live you're going to live we can be wise. I don't know if a bazooka on the shorts is wise, but you know what I'm saying? We can, we can defend our home. I suggest that you pray tonight for God to protect you. I also suggest you shut your front door and lock it, right? So it's just using common sense, but knowing at the end of the day, it is all contingent on the protection of God. So we have to find that balance, okay? We have to find that balance, And what we're talking about here is is more of a spiritual thing, but we see that we always have to be on guard. We always have to be on guard. Last part. When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah "'who were rebuilding the wall. "'The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand "'and held a weapon with the other. "'Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist "'while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. "'Then I said to the nobles, the officials, "'and the rest of the people, "'The work is enormous, and it's spread out, "'and we are separated far from one another along the wall.'" Wherever you hear the trumpet sound rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we continued the work while half of the men were holding the spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem, that's within the walls, so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me, never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing, always on guard. What we learned, though, is their strategy was working. All the antagonists, all the bad guys that were surrounding Jerusalem, they heard that not only were they going to continue building the wall, they were going to be armed, they're going to be watching 24-7, that they're taking this seriously. And what that did is it frustrated their plans. They kind of were like, okay, maybe we're not gonna attack. So after that, the Jews got back to rebuilding the wall, okay? But they still stayed armed. They still stayed ready. So the men who carried the supplies would carry a weapon just in case, in case they were attacked. So you're, you're working with one hand and you got your hand constantly on a, on a sword or a knife or, or a shield or something to protect yourself. And then there was someone that had a trumpet they would hang out next to Nehemiah. And if, if they came under siege, they'd blow the trumpet. Everyone would surround around where the trumpeter was. Nehemiah would give them instruction. So Nehemiah was honest. And he said, this is going to be enormous work. We're spread thin. There's not enough of us we're to, to do everything quickly, but we're, we're going to be okay. And what we are reminded of here, this is again another metaphor for our, for our lives now and for the spiritual world and for the church that rebuilding the people of God, rebuilding the literal city that we live in, it's not easy, but it's good work. It's what we're supposed to be doing. It's not easy. My friend Joel, that, that he comes to the five o'clock service. He started Endure Athletics that helps with homeless children. There's hundreds of homeless children in Rutherford County. I don't know if you guys know that or not. It's pretty sad to hear they live in motels and they're often prostituted out by their parents or other people, it's, it's really sad. But his whole calling in life is to get these homeless children, right? And to get them in school and to get them on the right path. It is, it is terrible, hard, unforgiving work, but it's, it's worth it, right? It's good, it, it moves things in the direction God wants them to go. And so he was just honest, Nehemiah, look guys, it's, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be really tough. You're gonna feel lonely. It's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. And so I don't know why. This, this phrase stuck with me all week when I was studying these two chapters, that they stand guard by night and they work by day. So Nehemiah trained the Jewish people, work hard, work smart, always keep an eye out because there is always enemies around. They had enemies all the way around them. There's always evil lurking around. So they each had to have a weapon on them all the time, indicating that they had to take responsibility for the safety of the community, for the improvement of the community. And what we get from this is a very, very serious spiritual principle. Peter said this in 1 Peter 5 be sober and alert because Satan is always looking for an, for an opportunity. It says, because the devil is like a roaring lion. That means it is a sin to get intoxicated. It is a sin to be out of our minds, right? To not be sober-minded. This is why, and this always offends people, but I don't care. This is why I'm against the legalization of smoking marijuana. Because when you smoke it, you get high. I don't know if you guys knew that about weed. When you smoke it, you get high. Um, When you drink too much, you get intoxicated. This is wrong, because what happens is your defenses are down, right? You're left vulnerable. And the devil only wants to do three things, steal, kill, destroy. And it doesn't have to just be drugs or alcohol. If you're in an office and you're a married woman and this really good looking guy in the cubicle next to you starts giving you attention and you start getting drawn into that, you're not thinking straight. Because if you don't stop this, it's gonna ruin your marriage. It's gonna separate you from your children. Think sober, right? Be vigilant. Be clear-minded. This is not good. This is not okay. We do it with all kinds of things, right? We do it with power. We do it with influence. And we have to be careful because if our guard is down, it's when the devil slips in. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. So we have to be on guard. We always have to be ready. The thing is this, you and I, if you're an American in here, I guess that's everybody. If you're in this room, we live in a culture right now that is individualistic. That is very different from, from other parts of the world that are, that are called collective, right? Collectivism versus individualism. Individualism is a, is a very American thing. It's all about me, the individual, right? The Bible does not teach individualism. It's not what it teaches. It teaches collectivism that we are in this together. Now, I'm not saying that we're all to be communists or socialists. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about that is, is what we do affects other people. We are in this together as a body of Christ, right? So if we're in this together, not just as the body of Christ, but citizens in the city of Murfreesboro, are we as individuals in what should be a collective body Are we doing our share to build up the body? Are we doing our share to build up the community? Or are we just tearing things down? Listen, there's a time to complain, there's a time to to voice grievances. I understand that. But I get really, really tired of, of just parents who their kids go to a public school and all they do is this teacher this and this principal that and this school system this. Listen, are you on the PTO? If not, why don't you get on it? Maybe shut up for a second and actually do something to make things move forward and get better. Instead of constantly complaining about these teachers that don't get paid enough, they get overworked and they're not prepared for all the things that they've had to face for the last two years. So instead there's a teacher over there. That's right, Corey. Get them, get them, get them. No, but, but, but I'm just using that as a point, man. If we're constantly complaining about the darkness, listen, we're the light, the Bible says. So if the light's over here saying it's really dark over there, go, go the heck over there then. Brighten it up. What are we doing about it? So again, it's just logic. Does complaining, arguing, blame shifting, because nothing's ever my fault, right? Does, does name calling, does this edify Jesus? Does it edify the church? Does it edify you? I hate to break it to you if you're a chronic complainer. No one likes to be around you. And they're just negative all the time, right? And so no one—it doesn't even edify you. We are—we we are collective. We are in this together. Let's build it up. Let's build it up. Let's go. Let's go engage the darkness, right? Bible says that the darkness can never overcome the light. The problem is, is the light is not engaging the darkness. We've got to go do it. Because you and I, listen—if you're a Christian in this room, we are called to be the watchmen and the watchwomen of humanity. We are called to be on on the front lines. We are the guards. We are the workers. But if we are the guards and the workers, if we're going to effectively build up not just the body of God, but our city, our schools, our neighbors, if we're going to build that up and bring people into a relationship with Jesus, you and I first need to make sure that our house is clean. We need to make sure that our minds are protected that our hearts are protected. The Bible says that we worship God in spirit and truth. Spirit is our emotions and our heart. The truth is our intellect and our thoughts. We worship him in both ways. That means that we need to take care to to have the Holy Spirit guard our brain, guard our thoughts, and also guard our emotion and our hearts. But in order to do that, We have to be aware and we have to be cautious that there is evil at every turn, in every direction. The devil is roaring around, walking around roaring, trying to find an opening to get in. So we have to know, right, that all the gates are being repaired, that that all of the walls of protection are, are there and strong. So how do we do it? because I'm sure everyone's like, yes, Corey, I got it, right? Like, Like my mind needs to be protected by the spirit. My heart needs to be protected from the spirit. How do we do it? I'm glad you asked, because Paul gave us a detailed list on how to do it. Ephesians chapter six says, this is how you arm yourself spiritually, to protect your mind and to protect your heart. The first thing Paul says is you need to be armed with salvation. No, oh, what does that mean? I was saved when I was 14 at a camp. I accepted this thing. I said this prayer that was scripted out on the back of this handout. I'm good, right? Salvation means you have a relationship with Jesus. Well, Corey, I have a great relationship with Jesus. How often do you pray? I don't pray. You have a good relationship with your spouse? Yes. Do you talk to them? Yes. Funny how that works, Right. If you have a relationship with Jesus, it means you talk to Jesus on a regular basis. Listen, let's just talk real here for a second. It's the 11 o'clock we have have all day. Um, (laughs) The world is crazy right now. You need to be praying every single day. Every single day. If you have children, you need to put a hand on your child. I'm not joking. I do it every single night with my two girls. And if I can't, if I'm out of town or something, my wife does it. Every single night, God, keep your hand on my kids, protect the schools they go to, protect their teachers, protect their friends, protect them spiritually, physically, mentally, whole nine yards. God, keep your hand on my kids. You need to do it every single day. Every single day. You need to pray for your spouse every single day if you're married. You need to pray for your neighbors every single day whether you like them or not, whether you have a relationship with them or not. You need to pray for your city. You pray for your country. You pray for yourself. You have to have a relationship with God if we're gonna be protected mentally, if we're gonna be protected emotionally. Not only do we need to pray, we need to live in righteousness. That means we do what is right. We do what God tells us to do through his word. Here's the thing. If we did what the Bible told us to do, 99% of the problems we face would be non-existent. If we handled sex, because everyone wants to talk about that in church, if we handled sex the way the Bible tells us to handle sex, one man, one woman exclusively for life, the majority of insecurity in young women who've been taken advantage of it wouldn't be there. Unwanted pregnancies wouldn't exist. STDs wouldn't exist. There would be no such terms as baby mama and baby daddy and things like that. My husband, my wife. All these problems, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. Listen, I lost my virginity before I was a Christian. 95% of you have too, according to statistics. And the majority of problems we have is because we don't live sexually the way the Bible tells us to live. We look at pornography, we do all these other things, and all it does is destroy us, tear us down, makes us live in shame and guilt and all these other things. And we wonder why we have all these problems. It's because we don't live righteously. So we have a relationship with God, We do what God tells us to do through the word of God. We lean into the truth and the Bible and the principles of this book. We have faith that God loves us and that he knows what's best for us. And if we do all those things, we live in peace. Now, let me show you how wonderful and how practical this is. Watch this, you're gonna really, really like this. When we do Ephesians chapter six, when we pray, when we read the word of God and do what it tells us to do, when we put our trust in Christ, what that does is it enables us to capture evil before it materializes in our life. The Bible says that we can capture every thought because if we have the Holy Spirit in us, you're gonna be tempted. You're gonna have evil thoughts kind of of well up in you. But if you pray about those things, the Bible says we can capture those evil thoughts And if we can capture those evil thoughts, they don't come out into evil actions. And when the evil thoughts stop and when the evil actions stop, that gives us peace because we're not doing stupid stuff and getting into hot water all the time and we're square with our creator. And when we live in the peace of having a relationship with God, people around us experience that peace as well. Your marriage looks different. Your kids look different. Your relationship with your neighbor looks different because when we build our part of the wall, the community starts to get better. When we start focusing on our walls, protecting my mind, protecting my heart, it starts to affect all those people that are in close proximity to me. And if they get affected, then it starts, this is called discipleship. It starts affecting those people around them. That's why Jesus didn't focus on millions of people. Jesus focused on 12 and he poured into them and he taught them these principles. And then those 12 eventually turned into billions. Simple stuff that we have to guard our mind, that we have to guard our hearts. And we do it by Ephesians chapter six and we build our part of the wall. Isn't that fun? Would you bow your heads with me, please? I don't know why I didn't say this at any of the other services, and it's gonna sound cheesy, but I'm gonna say it anyways. I don't care how broken your wall is, there is no wall in this room that's beyond repair. God is a master at restoration, a master, a master at restoration. If you are in this room and maybe you don't have a relationship with God or maybe you're new to the church and you just have questions, over here on my right, your left, Pastor Greg, he's the campus pastor for this church. If you wanna come over and talk to Pastor Greg, he'd love to talk with you. We have men and women on both sides of the stage. Listen, if you need prayer for anything. If you want to confess something and just have someone pray with you, if you want to pray for a friend or a family, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. Let someone pray with you where any two or more are gathered in my name. Bible says God's there. And then the last thing is we have communion. All the way where you see a lamp on a table, all the way around the room, there's the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Jesus. Today, if you don't mind, I'm gonna invite you to go get that. And if you go back to your seat, Pastor Mike is gonna lead you in communion, okay? But I wanna pray with you before we, before we close this out. Father, God, I love you. I pray, Lord, if there is anyone in this room, God, who, who thinks that maybe their wall is in such ruins that it's beyond repair, God, I pray that you speak to that lie right now and shut it down. I pray, God, that you would give us the, the, the courage and the initiative, God, to, to start actively talking to you and and reading your word and trusting you more so our thoughts can be protected, so our emotions and our heart can be protected, so we can be the men and women that you want us to be, God. Lord, I love the people in this room, God. Protect them. Keep them safe, God. Cover them up. Cover up marriages. Cover up the parents, God. Cover up the children. Protect us and keep us safe, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name. God, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week. You're you're welcome to help yourself.